The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! To the Third Men Podcast, James, how are you? I'm I'm doing okay, Paul. How are you? <laughs> it's 2017. We're back once again. It's a brand new year. Well, it's still a brand new year. It's continuing and to be a brand new year. It'll be a yes, brand new year in your hearts all year long. All year long, and you know we're back to talk to you a little bit about Jack White here on the Third Man Podcast. We're a Jack White history podcast. We go through Jack White music and history and all that good stuff. And today we're going to try something a little different. We're getting a James. little fresh on you guys. Yeah, we're going to dishing up something fresh. We're going to be testing the limits of our Jack White fandom today, James. I think. Did we introduce what? ourselves? I want to introduce ourselves, but I'm not able to. Want and able are two different things. <laughs> I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. And this has been Stumbling Through the Intro with Paul and James. Yes, we're going to go on a Jack White journey, and we're going to see if we can fight for your love. Yes, on an episode we call... This episode is going to be a back and forth, a real jab and dodge and burn and hustle and cuss and just a real raucous debate between James and I. It is a game we call Would You Fight For My Love and prepare yourself. Buckle into your money pit and death trap parked at that light of life. But first... What is the most astounding fact? The most astounding fact... The most astounding fact is the knowledge. Oh, I think I smell a fact. I think I smell a fact. James is the portion of the show where we go back in listening to a prior episode. We maybe found out something interesting that we didn't really realize at the time. And we go back and we learned a little bit more about it and, and spit that fact back out at you. So this week's I Think I Smell a Fact comes from episode 13.
2018. That was our year in review episode. And we talked a little bit about the Beyonce collaboration that Jack White did called Don't Hurt Yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mentioned when we were talking about this song that Jack collaborated with Ms. Ruby Amonfu, who offered some backing vocals and things. And, and that's really cool because we love Ruby. But James, did you know there was another third man family member also involved in the recording of Don't Hurt Yourself by Jack White and Beyonce? I did <laughs> I did not. I can only imagine it's Magna Carta box set magnate Jay-Z. <laughs> he released Magna Carta on Third Man Rap. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I think I smelled that fact just now. <laughs> I don't think I I don't think I'd smelled that before. <laughs> it smelled pretty nice. No, James Mr. Patrick Keeler of the Rackin' Tours played drums on Don't Hurt Yourself. Did he really? That's crazy. I had no idea. Well, uh, Beyonce has good taste in drummers, it seems. That would appear to be the case. And a couple other notable Third Man family members involved were also Joshua V. Smith and Vance Powell, who helped record it. Ah, yes. Notable recording producers and mixers from Jack White's other productions. Yes. That was really cool. Also, a guy named Stuart White. I don't really know who that is. But that was a really cool fact I smelled today, and I'm sharing it with you all, and I hope you liked it, too. And that's been... I reflect on that fact. Oh boy, that fact smelled great, Paul. <laughs> Man. <laughs> All right. We sniffed that uh, fact good. Now, James, let's get back to the topic at hand here because I'm ready to do battle with you, All right. Buckaroo. This is going to be a game show format. It's Would You Fight for My Love, where each of us, me and Paul, are going to pick three of our least favorite Jack White songs. Me in one corner, Paul the other, and then the other host has to defend them. Boxing. <laughs> Paul is, I punch, Paul's busy punching meat for some reason in the corner. Yeah. Whenever I punch somebody in the boxing ring, I say, boxing. <laughs> boxing. <laughs> they always see me coming. I don't know why. <laughs> boxing. And I'm, yes, he's, he's really bobbing, he's boxing. Bobbing. Weave it. Bob it. Twist it. Tap it. Weave it. Bob it. Weave it. Bob it. Weave it. <laughs> boxing. See, I just, I dance around and go, light on my feet. Light on my feet. Light on my feet. And then I get punched. And then, <laughs> no, I never punched. I'm a pacifist. Yeah. I just dodged. As Paul's, <laughs> Paul's busy saying, box. Yeah, and then Bismarck is in the ring going, beatbox. If you can't keep up, you lose. And then Courtney Barnett is there because it's Boxing Day. All right, anyway. I, I was waiting for that opening, and I never got it. And James, you just took that opening and ripped it right open for yourself. <laughs> I threw that opening onto the street like a Christmas tree on Boxing Day. James, That's for the lyric. love of God, explain what the rules so, of the so game each, are. Uh, each song is going to start out with one point each. We're going to rate each song out of three with one point. But after each debate, we are going to re-rate the songs, and the host with the most points at the end wins. Ooh. And what do they win, James? The other host will win maybe a kiss on the cheek. I wouldn't wash it for wash a week. Wash it for a week. Well, that, that would, would be all that, that I needed. needed. Yeah. Or the host can host an episode on any topic of their choice. James, if I win, I get to pick any topic I want and you have to research it. 
And then if you win, you can pick any topic you want, and I have to research it, no matter how crazy or stupid. Oh, man. I will take that bet. <laughs> no matter who wins, we all lose. Um, <laughs> there are things. Yeah, no, just percolate. Let it, let it really... Okay. So we picked our three least favorite Jack White songs each, and it's going to be up to the other person to defend it. And if we do a good job, hey, those ratings could go up. Who knows? We have not rehearsed or planned any of this, so who knows what could happen? So let's bring up that scoreboard. So, Paul, who's going first? We're going to do a coin toss. Uh, hell yeah. Uh, hold, hold on. on. Oh, got, do you have a Jack? I've got a, a Jack White coin? coin. Hold on. Okay, find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it. James can't hear me right now, but I have, um, he's going to get the coin, but I have secretly rigged right, each got, topic got, in my favor. Oh, he's uh, back. I've got, I've got your choice of two coins, Paul. I've either got the, the secret decoder ring from South by Southwest coin. Oh, very nice. Or I've got the Jack White vault challenge coin. Which would it oh, be? Oh, let's go with the challenge coin. You got it. All right, All does right. it have a distinct side one and two? Oh, oh, it sure does. Uh, okay, what are the sides? Three there, men James? on one side, which will be heads. It's uh, It's got the hands shaking on the back, which will be tails. So I'm going to flip it. I'm not going to look. Uh, let's shake hands. Ooh, you are the winner, Paul. Nice. Tail side, hands shaking. <laughs> All right, so I won the coin toss. That means... I go first? What song's that going to be? All right. Now, I would like to point out that even though these are our least favorite Jack White songs, I know at least, speaking purely for myself, uh, they're still Jack White songs, you know? So it's like, yeah, fine. So anyone out there who's going to be offended by our choices here, please write in and tell us about why you're offended you know. Paul, I do not care. I would like to fight you. I would like okay. to offend in every way. All right, we're going to offend in every way. James, the first song I picked for you to defend, would you fight for The Switch and the Spur? Take a big swig of this. I'll give the background, Paul. Please, let okay, me fight right. for your love. All right, all right. Fight for my love, James. Fight, <clears throat> fight for the switch and the spur. I, w- I just want to preface, I love this song, and I am mm-hmm. devastated that you hate this song. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say hate. All right, so switch and the spur. It's the opening side of side B of the Rackin' Tours 2008 album, Consolers of the Lonely. Track number five, it was recorded onto magnetic tape in February of 2008 at Blackbird Studio D in Nashville, Tennessee. 
It's actually co-written by Jack White and Brandon Benson, who also share in the publishing. Some fun little trivia of the song. On the cover of the Consolers of the Lonely, the raconteurs are depicted as a traveling band in the Old West. They actually went from a Western theme on this song as well, with a story about an outlaw who breaks out from jail. Along with the mariachi horns, this creates the feel of an Old Western movie. These are from Song (laughs) Facts, by the way. The song manages to get the word Appaloosa into the lyrics, and Appaloosa is a kind of horse known for its distinctive spotted coat. It was a popular breed in Western lore. And uh, Linda McCartney's favorite horse. So ring the beetle bell. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This song started off as an isolated piano riff that, according to Q Magazine in 2008, Jack White had been trying to find a home for since 2004. He's just trying to find a home. (laughs) Co-frontman Brendan Benson finished the song off. White told Q Magazine in 2008, that song alone is enough to make me realize that's why we're in this band and why we're writing songs together. All right. All right. We got some background here. Now... Give me a chance. I'm going to now just explain myself a little bit and explain a little bit why this song is not my favorite. So please do. I All right. So Consolers of the Lonely admittedly is an album that had to grow on me. I didn't really understand it at first. I thought that the title track, we talk often about this. It was the coolest song I'd ever heard. And so that blew me away, that, that really great opener. But The rest of the album, I don't want to say it left me cold, but it definitely left me a little perplexed because it was such a departure from that first Raconteurs album, which was kind of more straight pop. It was kind of arena rock, kink style pop. And then they took this really hard turn into the country thing, the the Western motif that kind of operated on the edge of the first tour and first album was totally at the forefront of this one. And I wasn't quite sure I liked it when it first happened. Okay. Uh, I've I've since come around. I've since enjoyed it. I know you very much enjoyed this album when it came out. I remember that distinctly. But this song in particular kind of summarizes for me what I didn't like about that album. I felt like the lyrics, particularly when they go through and start talking about every poor soul who trespassed against us, whether it be beasts or men. When I heard that, I was just thinking, oh my god, this is Spinal Tap. It just sounded so serious. It sounded like they were taking, like they were reciting like Tolkien or something. I have since really come around on it, and I think they were intending more of a wink and a nod with that than what came across on the record. And look, there's strong performances on at the lead guitar I like a lot too, but just in the end, it didn't really do it for me. Kind of summarized what initially turned me off about Consolers of the Lonely. Now, don't y'all write in and tell me about Consolers. I like Consolers of the Lonely. It's fine album. I like it very much. James, now tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, Paul, I'm ready to defend this song. <laughs> do it, James. All Fight right. for my love. All right. I will say that you are 100% correct. This song is a story. And you know what? That's exactly what the Tours are about. The first album, yeah, it's a little more poppy. I'd say it's a little more... It's, it's more McCartney-like in that it's not about the lyrics. It's more... Or it's not about even the feeling. It's more just about making a fun, snappy song. Do you know? Consolers of the Lonely, which is my favorite Jack White album of all time, Ooh. is nothing but story. And it's 
nothing but lyrical content. Like, uh, Carolina Drama is the perfect example of why this album works to me. It, it's a nice, fun story. It's, but, but that's not that's not the point of this this argument here because Carolina Drama is not the song I'm trying to defend. But it's the switch in the spur does it as well to me as Carolina Drama because this really shows off what they do and and what their name represents. They're racking tours, Paul. They're there to spit a yarn. That's the phrase, right? They spit yarn. Yeah, yeah you definitely spit yarn. <laughs> spin a yarn. And that is what they do in this song. This song totally nails the Western theme, too, that they're going for. And the motif of the entire album is definitely Western. And like you said before, it's tongue-in-cheek. This isn't trying to be a serious Western. This isn't trying to be Clint Eastwood. It's trying to be Clint Eastwood from Back to the Future. <laughs> it's trying okay. to be like, this is what a spaghetti Western is, right, guys? Like, it's not making a joke out of it, but at the same time, it's not trying to be foolish either. It's just trying to be, like, fun. It's trying to have fun with it. In fact, I actually found some more quotes on this song specifically with an interview with one Jonathan Durbin. The switch in the spur about a poisoned outlaw is also heavy on narrative, Jonathan Durbin says. Brandon Benson replies, that actually was a true story. And then he laughs. Jack White says, that was a melody I had been playing for years and never had a spot for. Then finally, Brandon brought in the line, in the heat of the desert sun and that chord change i love that track patrick keeler then comes in and says it's one of my favorites to play which if you listen to it patrick keeler's drums are so good he does a really nice job of making it his own brendan then comes in and says when we do it i almost feel a little too contained it's like i want my face painted i want dust i want tumbleweed couldn't we have tumbleweed for that one to go right across the stage (laughs) which belabors my point of this is sort of tongue-in-cheek it's trying to bring back memories of the west it's not trying to be super serious really jack white that says i see silhouettes of a wolf behind us every other band right now has wolf in their name And Patrick Keeler goes... <laughs> Just a dig at Wolf Mother for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the best is, Patrick Keeler butts in and he goes, and then at the end, little Jack is in a barrel and he explodes. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are very funny, Paul. That whole mantra at the end, it's just trying to be a fun Western exploration. Does that change your mind at all, Paul? Have I defended this song at all? (laughs) Well, I gotta tell you, you know, I, I... The argument that the raconteurs, by the very definition of their name, are these kinds of storytellers is a pretty compelling one. Let me just say, even the title of the song, The Switch and the Spur... It's a good title. I like the title. It's it's a very Jack White title, but it's also very in line with what they're trying to do with this song in painting a Western with a broad brush. Okay. All right. All right. Well, look, the other things I found compelling about your argument, James, I love the collaboration aspect. I think that's pretty cool, you know, the Jack and Brendan collaboration. Although I'm not sure if I love it because it doesn't exist anymore and I miss it, or if I love it on this. But the other really compelling argument is the Keeler drumming, which I had not considered. When you listen to that drumming, it is pretty strong. So, all right, so this one started out with a one. And And uh, little Jack's in a barrel and he explodes, Paul. Okay, so if I had to go up or down or stay the same, I would then move this one to a 1.5. 1.5. Oh, come on! It's at least a 2! I gave you the half point, James. Damn it. Damn it, damn it. Alright, I thought this one would be a surefire 2 at least. I wasn't <laughs> expecting a 3, but it should have been a 2. Well, I'm gonna get some flack on this, but that's okay. Man, 
Well, Paul, let's bring up the scoreboard. Put it on the big board. 1.5. 1. 1.5. The good news, the, the only good news I can glean from this is I sure do have a doozy for you, Paul. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, James, I think that brings you to your first pick for me to defend. Yes. Would you like to tell the dear listeners what that is? Yeah. Uh, Paul, my pick for you to defend is Blues on Two Trees. Three trees lying on the side of the road. One tree box, where the hell do we go? Another tree falls down dead in the snow. The third tree knocks the other two in a row and says, So, Blues on Two Trees, we'll do a little background here. This was the non-album B-side of uh, the I'm Shaken single from Blunderbuss back in 2012, released on October 30th, 2012, Devil's Night. Hmm. Ooh. It actually has some hints of who's a big baby in terms of effects when you listen to it. It features a bunch of different people here with some standouts. We have Burn Davies on acoustic bass, Emily Boland on clarinet, Carla Azar on drums, Olivia Jean on electric bass, Lily Mae Rishi on fiddle, and Scarlett Rishi on mandolin, which is cool. Ooh. we got the Rishi sisters there. And then we have Brooke Wagner on synthesizer, the Moog, and Jack is on theremin vocals, words, and music. The majority of the press coverage when this song was released was focused on the idea of Jack White rapping, which is the thing I recall the most off of this thing. Rolling Stone's review of the song says, Take a victory lap, Jack. You've just come up with the meanest, most riotously fucked up thing of your career. <laughs> the B-side to Shaken is a goth blues funeral procession shambling through a banshee forest of cackle and drone. The stumble stomp drumming falls apart beautifully and White's witchy boy singing is genuinely unhinged. <laughs> Why don't you leave me alone and love a tree, he shouts. White may be down on love, but he's at least eco-friendly. Spin also had something to say about this song. It was only a matter of time before the iconoclastic rocker, who earlier this year released a single via Hot Air Balloon, which I did not know about, went and started rapping. Jack White has unveiled a 30-second snippet of Blues on Two Trees, the B-side to his upcoming single, and yup, over the dirty blues gutter howl, that's the former White Stripe rapping in a blessedly unshowy cadence about um, commitment and fallen trees. <laughs> so, James, what's not to love about this? Why do you why do you not like this song? Paul, I, I will say that the first time I listened to this song, 
I did not know what to make of this. I thought it was the biggest pile of lyrics and musical tones that didn't really make up quite a song so much as they made an avant-garde John Cage style <laughs> art piece. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the first time I listened to it. This, <laughs> the more I gave it a listen, because I did, I did try, the more I, I could actually make out a song and I could actually understand the delivery that he was going for and I could understand why he was singing in the way he was. But still, it's not quite coherent. There's a bridge to the song that is, it's like a bridge that's so disconnected. It's like taking a bridge from one side of one river to another, but that bridge is located in another state. Like, it's it's a completely (laughs) separate song that he's using as a bridge, and I don't quite understand it. And not to mention, when he shouts, leave, Paul, it's not fun. He's just shouting, leave, it's not okay and there's no home for you here he plays a tone that is unpleasant and i like that tone because it really drives the point that he's trying to make and there's no home for you here it's piercing and it's good and it it hurts your ears in a way that makes you feel more empathy for what the character is going through in the song but this he's just shouting leave at me and i'm like all right anyway that's why i don't like this song now go Um, on defend it well james I'm going to prove to you that there's a narrative in this song, okay? All right. Jack is using, okay, an elaborate metaphor here with the trees and a relationship. He says, the trees stand still. They don't move, you see. That's more a commitment than you'll get from me. So quit pretending you've got love for thee and leave me. It's a statement, James. It's a statement about... Was he going through the divorce at this point? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this is really an indictment. You've got... Quit pretending you've got love for me. Why don't you leave your home and love a tree? Like, that's that's telling her to get out. There's plenty out there giving love away for free, so why don't you go and love a tree? Look, I think this is a song that was written in pain. This is a guy who is trying to express himself very deeply. And you know what? He's doing it in a way that would really inform us of what his career would be giving us after this because Blues on Two Trees does have a lot of hip-hop influence in there. And it was not his first, but certainly his most blatant foray into this, which he then re-engaged and which we saw later on in Lazaretto. So, you, I mean, I would argue that without... You talk about a bridge. This song is a bridge, James. This Without this song holding Blunderbuss and Lazaretto together, I don't think you get to Lazaretto if you don't get this first. Lazaretto is the thing that grew out of this, much like that tiny acorn, James, that grew into the tree. It's from this pain that was born this sound that would become Lazaretto. So I say to you, sir, that without Blues on Two Trees, you wouldn't have Jack White's finest opus his finest musical statement which in my opinion is lazaretto so god bless blues on two trees and may it live happily for the rest of its days and if that can't convince you hearing jack white tell somebody to go and a tree and then under his breath say it's good for you that is makes it worth it that makes it all worth it if we didn't have that if i didn't have that in my life james i don't know what i'd do all right if i didn't have saying it's good for you i don't know what i'd do (laughs) oh man i feel like the judge from miracle on 34th street with fred mertz going like 
you know the right thing to do, <laughs> and then winking at me. Like I... <laughs> well, James, that's fine. If you don't like this song, then you hate Lazaretto, so that's fine. I understand. <laughs> don't say that. I love Lazaretto. <laughs> I know it's blasphemy, but I like it more than Blunderbuss. I do, too. I agree. We are in agreement about this and so much more. And that is blasphemous to most Jack White fans, but... I don't care what they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your arguments for it being a song birthed out of pain and anguish actually did help me to understand it a little more than I would have before. I don't know if I agree that Lazaretto wouldn't have been made had it not been for this song, but I do agree that Lazaretto might not have had the edge that it had had it not been for the life events that inspired this song, or perhaps the learning experience he had making this song. So, for those two points alone, I would say two men. (gasps) Oh my god! All I can think of is this, perhaps, is the mode of thinking that led him into the Run the Jewels collaboration he did at Madison Square Garden. It's possibly what led him into A Tribe Called Quest. But not only that, it really does give me a nice little insight into possibly what he was feeling at the time and the the type of pain he may have been in. Because, yeah, he is kind of saying, go it's good for you and and you know what that's a pretty and you know what it is good for you so i'm not gonna say that this song would ever be on my typical playlist but i wouldn't put it below my least favorite songs now it would it's not in my least favorite i'm gonna count that as a win for the old p man and with that i present to you my next track which you will have to fight for my love for and it is want and able Fighting words. Boxing. Let's give a little boxing. He's boxing. He's boxing. Boxing. Let's give a little background to Want and Able. Want and Able was the album closer for Jack's 2014 solo album, Lazaretto, which, like we both said earlier, we love. Indeed. Jack plays every instrument on this song vocals guitar and piano he recorded it in third man studio in nashville tennessee between 2012 and 2014 it was mastered by bob ludwig at gateway mastering studios in portland maine here's some more trivia again via song facts white sings on this piano ballad about the conflict between desire and duty want and able is interesting since we've got the left channel thing going he told npr in fact i've listened to this npr interview before and it's pretty interesting <laughs> stuff i wrote with these two characters in mind Almost like they would be names like Pancho and Lefty. (laughs) 
Juan and Abel, Abel spelled A-B-E-L. But by the time it had gotten finished, it felt like I almost should go approach like a gay rights organization or something like that. It feels like something that could be used as a theme for an idea about fighting against something else. (laughs) And these two characters are talking to each other, and they aren't able to do what they naturally already wanted to do or need to do. Outside forces are not allowing it. And these two characters are telling each other how they either have the chance to fight it or they're unable to fight it. I think the left channel has a low vocal and piano and the right channel is a high vocal and guitar, White added, and they're completely separate from each other, so that you just have to turn the knob either direction, you either hear one or the other. Which I think is actually an interesting thing, but I'll get into that in my defense. Okay, alright. At the start of the song, the listener can hear the sound of crows. These crows are coming from the old hunting records that I found, White told NPR. I found a portable record player from the 50s that you take out when you go hunting, and these are records that you'd play to get crows to come around. (laughs) Very good, White. Thank you. There was a death cry of a crow, and a crow and a raven, or a crow and something else fighting each other, he continued. So those are two different old records playing at the wrong speed. They're played very slowed down, like 33 RPM, when they're supposed to be 45s or something. So, Paul, that's that's a little background okay. on Want Nable. Can you tell me why you don't like this song? It's not that I don't like it. It's just not my favorite. Lazaretto, as we spoke about earlier, is, I think, my favorite Jack album he ever did. I love it very much much. I love almost every song on it. It is an extremely strong record in my opinion, but ends pretty weakly. That is to say, with this song. I felt like as an album closer in particular, it was sort of anticlimactic. This big, beautiful record being built and all this boundary pushing he was doing and really strongly written and recorded music. And then to get this kind of White Stripes style nursery rhyme that just suffered to me, it suffered for suffer from like the lack of Meg like to me the nursery rhymes worked a little more when Meg's in the mix and like for whatever reason with him just singing this one it just felt a little phoned in not quite as clever as maybe I perceived that he thought it was and so you know it was catchy I remember our dad kind of singing this one when the album came out and so yeah you know I guess I, guess I kind of give it that but the who is the who telling who what to do thing I just kind of found repetitive and not in a good way a weird taste in my mouth to leave Lazaretto on when I felt like Lazaretto deserved a stronger ending. I know most people prefer Blunderbuss to Lazaretto. That's fine. I feel like Blunderbuss ended very strongly. Blunderbuss kind of ended a few times, although that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. But at the very least, I felt each ending was strong. This one I just felt was kind of like a weak ending, and it really has colored my perception of the tune. I would like to say that I do agree with you that this song is very much in the vein of White Stripes era children's type innocent song writing. Uh, So much so that I think I've come to really love this song. When I first listened to it, I did not like it very much, and now I've, I've actually come around to liking it much more. I think that the left channel, right channel thing is very interesting. I do think you personally would like this song hell of a lot more if you listen to just the left channel in fact paul i challenge you right now to listen to a snippet of the song with just the left channel taking the right headphone off your ear and just listen to the left channel of wanting i'm doing this right now yeah yeah no no no, i'll do it i'll do it i'll do whatever all right right, here it comes all right want enable wait which which channel it should be just piano I hear the crows. I hear the death cry. Okay. Very good. Okay, just piano, yeah. Oh my god. Why? What? Wow. That 
sounds what? That's incredible. It sounds like Get Behind Me Satan. Now put your headphones back on. Now that you said that. Okay, you could turn it off. Oh my god, it's the falsetto. That's Paul, I yes, and I want you to know that this song, if it weren't for uh, that high-pitched singing, I think you would love it because it it just sings White Moon. Oh, that Satan. Oh. I do think that because Get Behind Me Satan is your favorite album, I think this is the White Moon of that album. I think what it suffers from is the lack of Meg for you, but I don't think it needed her in it. I think what happened was this was such a high energy album and an album with so much edge to it that the ending kind of deflated in a way that if you could isolate it would make the song way, way better. In fact, I think if you could isolate even just that channel, you would like the song so much more. And not only that, it's a nice progression of where Jack White's going. And it's also, along with the progression, it's a callback to his White Stripes days. Well, James, that was a very convincing argument. That is actually remarkable. I implore everyone listening at home to do what James says and take one earbud out or one headphone off and listen to that isolated piano because it actually does drastically change the song. I find that argument extraordinarily compelling, although... The one flaw in your argument, James, really, is that to say, hey, listen to this under weird circumstances and imagine that it could be better is kind of a weird argument to make. But I appreciate the audacity of it, James. No, Paul, I'm not saying to change it. I am only saying to listen to it as a song rather than as a tail end okay. of an All right. Well, it took a lot of balls and biscuits to really come up with that argument, James, but I can't bring myself to give this a th- Three, but I will give it a 2.5. Woohoo! That, that was a very yeah. good argument. That was a very, very good argument. I, I stand corrected, sir. Oh, man, I'm, I'm on I stand corrected, here. good sir. Let's break yep. up the scoreboard. Right, let's put that on the big point. <laughs> Your next song. Paul, you're going to have to defend quite a doozy. You were able to successfully defend one of my least favorite songs, and in fact, make me raise it. One whole Yeah, all man. right. Got a whole oh. man out there, yeah. One well, to two men. What What are we going to do if it's not quite a man, but it's sort of a... Paul, I feel like you're whining a little bit. <laughs> I feel like you're being a little bit of a big baby. Paul, the next song you got to defend is Who's a Baby? All right. So, Who's a Big Baby will give a little background here. Screw you, James. This is uh, one of the B-sides for Blue Orchid, the first single from 2005's Get Behind Me, Satan. That sort of single release had a bunch of different songs on it. Recorded in Detroit at Third Man Studios, Room B, and mixed in Temper Mill Studios, mastered at Soundmasters. Jack White plays electric piano, marimba, and guitar on this. It is engineered by David Feeney. Mastered by Howie Weinberg. 
I'm not going to say the next one because that's part of my defense for it. And it was produced, mixed, and recorded by Jack White. It does feature vocals and drums by Meg. That's the background on Who's a Big Baby. James, would you care to tell the listening audience why you don't like this song? Well, it might help my argument for why I don't like this song. If I just read you the text here, that you have so kindly... that's part of my defense. Oh, no. But, Paul, this song isn't so much a song, again, (laughs) as it's... It's an experiment. Mm. I'll give Mm. him that. It's Mm -hmm, an experiment. mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a particularly successful experiment. He is trying new vocal techniques and vocal technologies that the White Stripes really aren't known for. They're known for limiting themselves, and the vocaloids or whatever he's using to change his voice into some sort of man baby <laughs> is it's not really in line with the White Stripes' general philosophy. It's not a particularly strong <laughs> experiment either. It's There's no real writing involved. It seems like kind of a throwaway that they had on the tape, maybe like a joke that Jack and Meg were doing in the studio and decided to put as a B-side, which it's interesting in its own right, but you were saying that the switch in the spur <laughs> was going a little zany. I'd say this takes zany and it puts it in a diaper <laughs> and sends it off to daycare to be its own... This is zany to the max, Paul. Well, tell us how you really feel, James. I love it. I I love it, but I also do not love it. (laughs) All right. Well, James, get ready to have your mind blown. I am about to read you the lyrics to Who's a Big Baby. Okay. This is this is the I'd like to present my opening argument for Who's a Big Baby, okay? All right. <laughs> Who's a big baby? Who's a big baby? Who's a big baby? Wah. Who's a big baby? Who's a big baby? Who's a big baby? Wah, wah, wah. Who's a big baby? Who's a big baby? Wah. Wah. Wah, wah, wah. Shh. Who's a big baby? Who's it? Who's a big baby? I want my mommy. Mommy. I want my mommy. <laughs> Wah. Who's a big baby? Let's go shopping. <laughs> lot a lot of wah. Lot a 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 lot Who's a big baby? Wah 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 wah. I rest my case. <laughs> James, it may be weird. It may be strange. It may push some envelopes. It may be innovative. It may be all of these things which you hate. (laughs) (laughs) I've never said that I hated innovation, Paul. It may be the weirdest song Jack White has ever recorded. And that's worth something, right? This is on tape and on a record, and it's been played in public. My fondest memory is part of my defense as well of this song. I do legitimately like this song, much to the chagrin of those around me, because I love putting this song on and having people go, what the hell is this? I used to play this at work really loud, and John Gray, my former co-worker, would come walk in and do like this weird like DuckTales-style dance to it and shake his booty and it was all in good fun and that's kind of what this song is it's all in good fun i just don't know how to describe it. it's the most unique thing we're not what why why does it exist you know why 
<laughs> but that's the questions that should keep us up at night, James, is the why. Now, here's really the crux of this. Patrick Keeler, drummer <laughs> for the Tours. Patrick Keeler is on this as shushing and assisting. I had no idea. <laughs> this is the only White Stripe song that Patrick Keeler is on. That is history, James. That makes this one of the most unique gems in all of the White Stripes lore. That's it. Case closed. Patrick Keeler, Big Baby, they joke around a lot. I present to you, I think this was an in-joke between Jack and Patrick. And when you look at it from that point of view, it becomes a lot funnier, and I understand it a lot better once I look through that Keeler lens. I feel like he did designs for him, though, because he's a graphic designer, but that's another thing entirely. Do you rest your case? Case closed. Okay. Um, Paul, I want to say there are two arguments that caught my eye in your arguments. The first argument that caught my eye was that Patrick Keeler was on this. Okay, it's possible that this was an in-joke between those two, and it's possible (laughs) that is why this song exists. (laughs) It might explain it a little bit better. I would say that that is interesting, and it is White Stripes history, and it is Jack White history. Does it make it a better song to me? Incrementally. It would maybe make me go from a 1 to a (laughs) 1.25. Definitely a nugget of of interest that I'd listen to this song. I'd put it on my turntable again just to hear Patrick Keeler again, because I'd be like, oh, that's him, so I'd put it on. Now, the other nugget of wisdom that i've gleaned mm, from this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is as an important an argument that you made if not more important an argument than the patrick keeler bit is why <laughs> why was this made this song definitely captures the mystery of the white stripes at this point mm-hmm, in time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If people who are jumping on board from, say, White Blood Cells are listening, or, say, Elephant, their most popular album, are jumping on board and listening to this <laughs> song, Who's a Big Baby? I Want My Mommy? Wah! They're going to go, Jackson, some weird stuff, man. Let's go shopping! Why? <laughs> Why is this a thing? They're going to question it. They're going to possibly research further, or they're just going to get out of Dodge oh, and stop it's listening. It's got to thin the herd. All of that combined with John Gray <laughs> dancing his DuckTales dance to this song, I will give it 1.75. Whoa! Wow! It rated higher than Switch and the Spur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was very curious as to why that didn't go higher. <laughs> I did a bad job, <laughs> Paul, with Spitch and the Spur. Oh, wow. Well, we have uh, found ourselves very close. We are neck and neck. I'm putting that on the big board. James, you are still ahead on the leaderboard, despite the Switch and the Spur fiasco of 2017. (laughs) But we move on to my next and my last song for you to defend, and this one is going to be controversial. I'm sorry in advance, all you people that like this song, but James, fight for my love for Black Math.
Russell, Russell, Russell. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Well, Paul, if my calculations are correct, I will do this, and I will do it in spades. Hit me. Paul, let me give you a little background on this song. It is the second track on the White Stripes 2003 album, Elephant. It was recorded to eight-track reel-to-reel at Toreg Studios in Hackney, London, England, by gentleman Liam Watson in April 2002. No computers were used during the writing, recording, mixing, or mastering of this record, including this song. It was also on the Under Great White Northern Lights soundtrack, and it was also on the Under Blackpool Lights DVD set as well. It's a beloved song by many. Here's why it's not my favorite. Yeah, come on, Paul. Tell me the geometry, the (laughs) algorithm you have used to give this song a one out of three. Come Um, on, man. Much like Want and Able, this thing suffers from placement for me. So Elephant was the first album that I really felt was mine as a Jack White fan when I was listening at the time. I had heard White Blood Cells after the fact, but Elephant was the one that came out after I had already been a listener, like many people. And I never claimed to be at the ground floor of of Mr. Gillis's career. But Elephant opens on Seven Nation Army, so arguably Jack White's finest hour. Okay. Then we get Black Math, and then we get There's No Home For You Here. And There's No Home For You Here struck a chord in me that was profound, much like Ball in a Biscuit later in the album. I would say No Home For You Here and Ball in a Biscuit were the songs where I was really like, Jack White is a master. But sandwiched in between there was what I had perceived as white noise. Black math. I get it captures the energy of their live set. I get that it is consistent with what came before. But The White Stripes comes alive for me when I feel like the lyrics are strong and when I feel like the blues is really prevalent. I like a lot of contrast in Jack White's songs, and There's No Home For You Here, you put it beautifully earlier where it's got that feedback that should be harsh and terrible for our ears, but it's actually really good and appropriate because it echoes the pain that he's going through. Black Math is all kind of one note for me, and it's just fast, 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 fast. And if I was moshing to it, or if I was like thrashing to it or something, like maybe, you know, I could see that, but to me it's just white noise in the middle of what is otherwise a beautiful beautiful opening to an album i don't hate the song i find it okay but it is definitely not my favorite all right okay (laughs) well yeah this song has a little bit of sameness going on throughout it and and i would also say you're right it's got some placement issues this song maybe shouldn't have been placed on elephant but maybe should have been placed on white blood cells This has white blood cells written all over it because it is not blues. You are correct. And white blood cells, as we both have discussed in episode two, there was no blues on that album. At least to be no blues. But what this song does have is some nice adolescent punk roots to it. This song is Jack White as a youngling. (laughs) Okay, he's still still a Uh kid, you know relatively speaking in this era and he is railing against adults paul when in jack white's career have you ever heard him rail against adults and not rail against the kids with their <laughs> and their too much technology this is jack white talking about issues that are important to kids not only that but issues that are still being talked about in our american school systems like teaching to the test in the lyrics listen master can you answer a question is it the fingers or the brain that you're teaching a Oh, I can't tell you how proud I am writing down things that I don't understand. 
this is issues that he's taking and he's condensing and he's putting them into this punk-like song that's going at a really fast pace. And it's got that, you know, like you said, a mashi kind of attitude to it, but it's something that actually has poignancy in the lyrics. I do think that the lyrics have meaning to them. And sure, some adults would say that this is kid stuff that they complain about all the time, but I would say this is important stuff, and it's important stuff that's being argued with No Child Left Behind, with that kind of teaching methods in today's society, and it's stuff that Jack White, I'm sure, is still upset about. Not only that, Meg's drumming on this is the perfect temp... She keeps beat on this song so well, and she's so energetic, and it's some of her finest drumming. I know I mentioned this earlier with Switching the Spur, that it's Patrick's finest drumming. I think this is some of Meg's best in that she's able to almost seamlessly transition from the super energetic punk drumming beats to a slower bridge. It's it's a really nice switch that she goes, and then she goes back to and it fits with his guitar work, and not only that, it adds to the gravitas of the song. Her drumming is really what you hear. You're not listening to him pluck the guitar in an interesting way. You're listening to Meg bash on the drums with this. If you're listening to Jack's guitar work you are going to pay attention to that solo that is in the middle of it i put in my defense that solo <laughs> dough. paul the argument is in your court dat solo dough. Wow. well i felt the number ticking up in my brain cavity uh <laughs> at a couple of points throughout your your very well orchestrated argument i find your notion the notion that this is a political song kind of intriguing because i didn't know he was involved in that really here i feel like the more we peel away at jack white's music the more we find these kind of political statements let me interject with a little bit of history that i did find that oh. i forgot to mention a quote from jack white about this song i was thinking about a time in high school when i turned my books into the math teacher and said i refuse to learn from you anymore this song's about asking questions a lot of people are taught to just regurgitate information people just don't care if you learn anymore opinion gets trampled on i find that extraordinarily compelling i had no idea that was underneath this song i would argue that maybe i should have But the other argument that spoke very much to me was the Meg drumming argument, because really the thing that saves this thing for me in the end is that break. When it first goes into that break from the fast stuff. So I find all of those arguments very compelling. But really the thing that speaks the most to me here is that I did not know that this was a political song. And I find that interesting. and, And it actually opens up the song a little bit for me. So... With all of that said, I am going to give this a 2.75. Oh my god! Take the victory. Put, we're going to put it up. We're putting Put it up. I'm through. <laughs> putting it on the leaderboard. Well done, sir. Thank you. Oh man, that does my heart well done. good. All those those big <laughs> and really that brings us to your last song you chose for me you son of a bitch man yeah i'm i'm sorry paul because i think (laughs) i hear something paul and 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 though i hear you calling i will not answer is the next song that you have to defend okay
first of all, personal background for me, I didn't have this on my iTunes. I had heard it, and I remembered hearing it, but when I went to look for it in my iTunes, I couldn't find it. So anyway, uh, background on this song. This is another B-side from Blue Orchid. James really hates that single release of Blue Orchid. He picked two (laughs) songs from it, again from the the Get Behind Me Satan uh, era. The only other one on there, aside from Blue Orchid, is You've Got Her in Your Pocket, which is a live version. This was also included on the Japanese release of Get Behind Me Satan, interestingly enough. It was recorded at Third Man Detroit in Room C, mixed at Ardent Studios, which we talked about a little bit. That's that studio in Memphis that Jack did a lot of uh, work and mixing in and stuff. It was mastered at Sound Masters, and that's when I fell into this crazy hole with the guy who mastered it, Kevin Metcalf. So... I had no idea who this guy was, so I just looked him up, and I was like, oh, what else did this guy do? All right, he's a producer. Mostly he actually just does mastering for a living and technical stuff on records. But he worked on Diamond Dogs by David Bowie, Shake Your Booty by Casey and the Sunshine Band, (laughs) Out of the Blue by ELO, Who Are You by The Who, and If It Hadn't Been for Love by Adele. And then, I mean, this guy's had a long career. And then The Cherry on The Cake here. Mr. Boombastic by Shaggy. Oh my god. <laughs> Touch me oh, on the so buttresses, I'm Mr. Romantic. <laughs> he also did other work with the White Stripes. He worked on stuff for My Doorbell, Denial Twist, and obviously Blue Orchid. He worked on Conquest, Icky Thump, You Don't Know What Love Is. So that's, And Raconteurs. He uh, did Broken Boy Soldiers, Store Bought Bones, Steady As She Goes, and Hands. So... I don't know. That's the hole I fell into there, but I will not answer. Anyway, that's that's the song. James, tell me again why you hate Joy. <laughs> <laughs> this song does fall into the same category as Who's a Big Baby. It seems more like an in-joke to, like, a studio. Like, it seems like studio time joke fun that they were having. It's not bad, I would say. Like, it's interesting stuff. It doesn't feel like a song so much to me. Uh... It feels more just like a a moment they had. I don't know why they chose to put it as a B-side. I would say it's it's interesting. I don't particularly care for it, is all. Fair enough. You win. No, I'm just, here's the here's here's the here's the time I'm having this with this right now. I couldn't actually call up what it sounded like in my head, so I'm playing it on iTunes. So. Here's what I would say for this song. There's a couple things, James, I think are going to really open your eyes on this. This is 2005. This is, what, four years before It Might Get Loud? We didn't really... We knew some of the extent as fans of the kind of music Jack was into, but we didn't really have an understanding, I would argue, just as a casual fan of the kind of thing he was listening to, mainly that Delta Blues stuff, the Robert Johnsons, the Blind Willie McTells, that kind of thing. I know, listening to this at the time, I wrote it off partially to blame for it not even being on my iTunes. When listening to it for this, I listened to it about five times because I was trying to figure out why I couldn't place it. And you know what I came down on is that this thing sounds a lot like a Blind Willie McTell style song where it's extremely pared down. But when you think about the lyrics and when you're when you're listening to it, it's got this kind of deepness underneath. You know, there's a breakup in there, I think. It's unclear if this is Zellweger stuff. 
stuff. Maybe it is. I think we tend to blame this era stripes on Zellweger stuff, but he's basically saying, I hear you call you're not I'm not gonna answer. It's a defiance. So this is an old Delta Blues style breakup song. I mean that's kind of what it is. So I hear you calling, I will not answer. I broke your code. The sun may shine right through your tooth, dear, and the wind may blow right through my ear. Though I hear you calling, I will not answer. So he's doing this is a pastiche. This is a picture he's painting of that style of song. And we you know, we get it in the in the stripes early material a bunch, you know, or mainly in the in the form of covers, but we don't really get it in the later career. So this is really him revisiting this style of song in the White Stripes era for one of the last times. The thing that I found particularly compelling and interesting about this, though, is that it borrows audio at the beginning and the ending. And at the beginning, it borrows audio from the Christmas record B-side, where, yes, where he's talking about Round Yon Virgin, and he apologizes to Meg for saying that it was Ron Yon Virgin instead of Round Yon Virgin. Listen to it. Put it on. Right, it's round, John. I was wrong. Ponder what's there. Ponder what's there. Wow. Yeah. Oh. No, I've never. Yeah, and he's giving that. us a little snippet from Little Acorns. You know, the that guy talking in Little Acorns. So, are you sure that's not like an out? Uh, it, it may be from the same broadcast that wasn't actually used in Little Acorns, but that's definitely from the same guy. Th- those are those are the most compelling arguments that uh, that I present to you, James. And uh, are the fate of though I hear you calling, I will not answer, is in your hands. The guy who speaks on Little Acorns in this song is named Mort Krim. We love Mort. You know what? Is the weird thing, Paul? Your argument makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> like at first, you were telling me I was like that. No, this is not going to up my rating at all. But then, as you were talking about be- it being a Delta Blues song, in my head, I was like, "All right, I don't think Paul's right about this." I'll, all right, I will take you through my thinking process. I don't think Paul's right about this. What? Let's let's think. What what would Sunhouse or Blind Willie McTell do with this song? What would they, how would they sing it? You know, I'm humming through the lyrics. You know, though I hear you calling, though I will not answer. I was like, damn it! He's one hundred percent right that this song does have some really Delta blues undertones to it that I never caught before, like ever. Now that I can hear it, it makes a whole lot of sense why Jack actually did this song. I still will say I do not like his speech augmenter that he's using yeah uh, who's a yeah. big baby i do think it's it's taking away from whatever song he's singing not only that i don't think it's it's very true to what the white stripes set out originally to do with their music but it's definitely a lot more interesting to me as a song and the the round yon virgin bit i never <laughs> caught before i i guess i just didn't know that song as well until we did an episode on it episode 12 old mary uh, but that's super interesting i did know that the little acorn snippet was on there i think it was another section of that audio that he had recorded but it does make it a little more interesting to me paul uh, so much so that i would say i would give this song another solid two two, two men man, you've up i've upped it upped it for me i heard you calling Though I hear you calling, <laughs> I answered. All right, let's put a big old two there on the leaderboard. Two. Two. Let's yep. see the leaderboards. Let's see the leaderboards. Leaderboard. We're going to do our tally now. 
Do you have it? That brings us to the end of our songs. We're going to tally these up. Do you have it? Uh, hold on. Just nine. Out of the possible nine men, Paul. Oh, this game, this is close. This is getting pretty close here. Come on, let me just plug in X for variable. And, and each of us started at three men. Okay. So, the final tally. We have me at 5.75. That's that's getting up there. 5.75, up from three. So I improved your feeling by almost half on these songs. That's up by almost half. Good. You had yes. some good arguments. And James, your tally is out of a possible three, six point seven five. James, you are the winner, sir. James has won the contest. <laughs> I fought for your love, Paul. One, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I fought the law in the law. Uh, so, James, congratulations. You are the victor. How does it feel? Oh, man, it feels incredible. I fought up there. Uh, I, I thought I was really on the ropes there for a minute. Uh, but, man, you know, I just kept going, and I kept fighting, and Biz Marquis was there, and he was beatboxing. And, you know, even, even old Carl Butterball was on the Carl was there. Side. Carl was there. So encouraged me. Giving him encouragement the whole time. Every time he was in the corner, I would just feed him another turkey leg into his gaping maw. <laughs> Dripping with sweet succulent butterball turkey juices. James, how did it feel? The injury in the third quarter looked like it was really going to set things back for you, but it looks like your ear will recover. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you were feeling in that moment? Well, you know, <laughs> you really chewed my ear off there, Paul. <laughs> the the first round really yeah, threw me really, for a loop. I really know, thought yeah. I really thought that I would uh, I'd be down I'd be uh-huh. on the ropes after after you not taking to my switch and spur argument. Which, by the way, scored the lowest out of any song we brought up. <laughs> I know, and I love that song, yes. Paul. So I'm still upset at myself. But you know what? I got yeah. some good hits in there. A couple I got good some hits. Good punches. Uh, Paul, how are you uh, feeling? Yeah, you I'm. Feel? Uh, yeah, you know, I. Uh, you know, it could, could have gone my way, uh, but uh, you know, I think uh, you know we just played and uh, and we lost, and then uh, we're gonna practice some more, and then we're gonna play again, and we might win and we might lose. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for us to gang up and fight for a third man's love. Third man's, man's love. love. Let's kick it to our third man this week, James. Welcome back to our third man this week, Mike Jazitis, our first repeat third man. Welcome, Mike. How you doing? Hello. How are you? We're fighting for love <laughs> over have- here. 
How have you been since last we heard from you? You know, when you're much like a baby, you know, we have object permanence issues here. So when when we can't hear you, it is as if you don't exist. <laughs> well, things are well. Um, okay, good. I, I don't think anything extravagant has happened in the meantime, but it's uh, it's good to be back. Fantastic. <laughs> well, by the time this podcast airs, yeah, I think something extravagant might happen, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, the, uh, hopefully. I mean, are, are we going there in this podcast, or are we just keeping it pretty superficial? It's up to you. Oh, I, I mean, mean we don't have to. It's however yeah, I mean, official yeah, you want yeah. to make it, super or otherwise. Yeah. Well, I, I'm unsure your editing timeline, but if this is more than a week, then hopefully I'm a dad by then. Uh, oh. The kid will not be named Jack. I can tell you that with certainty. <laughs> also not a Brendan or a, or a Meg. Yeah. Maybe an Allison. Maybe a boy named Allison. That probably sounds like an Elvis Costello song, but what do you do? <laughs> Now, Mike, I wasn't actually talking about your wife's pregnancy. I was talking about your pending North Korean citizenship. How's that going? Uh, it's stalled, unfortunately. Uh, okay. All right. So, Mike, this episode, James and I are doing battle on the fields of Jack, in which we are fighting to defend our co-hosts' least favorite Jack White songs. And, Mike, you are on board here to do a lightning round because you by far have more songs that you don't care for from his catalog than James and I. And James and I are going to go back and forth and we're going to defend them to the best of our abilities. And by the end of it, Mike, all of these songs we're saying start out with a one out of three men rating. So if we can successfully change your mind, you let us know what the new rating is. For instance, last round we had Who's a Big Baby, which started out with a one. And by the end of that round, that song actually ticked up a rating for James, who had picked it. So, Mike, you're going to tell us by the end of it if we did a good job, basically. You can go by increments of 0.25 if you want. All right. The curtain has been drawn. The attention squarely on you, sir. Spew your hate. I hate the nurse. Okay. Okay. Paul, um, I think this well, is this is in your <laughs> your field. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to take this one on because I couldn't disagree with you more, Mike. So get behind me, Satan. You call it mopey divorce rock. And, uh, well, while I find that statement fairly disparaging and uh, wholly dismissive of what I find to be a very poignant and well thought out, beautiful record, specifically the nurse, I find its tempo changes and use of instrumentation not only indicative of that album, but of a, a stage in Jack's life, which I feel like also helped inform his later creations. I think The Nurse is a well-structured song, and it's that kind of chaotic beat that Meg throws in there with those wild drum fills actually add a lot to shake up and give contrast to what would otherwise be that kind of mopey song you're talking about. But because it's Jack, he's got to shake it up, and what better way to shake it up than with Meg? And honestly, I think those lyrics are really, really interesting and heartfelt. And the one that sticks out to me the most is that the nurse should not be the one who puts salt in your wound, but it's always with trust that the poison is fed with a spoon, which is just 
heartbreaking. And I put that lyric up there with the finest Zeppelin breakup lyrics from like two and three that we that spoke to us when we were in high school. But you know what? I think there's something to be said for that. And I don't write it off as quickly as you, sir. I mean, those are good lyrics. I'm with you, but it just I just don't like the song. And I think you actually dropped the ratings of 0.5, man. Oh, damn. I just, it's so sad. Like, I just don't care. Like, My Doorbell is fine. Blue Orchid is fine. But the whole album is just, like, it's fine. And that song, just to your point, like, it exemplifies that the song's, like, the whole album's, like, meh. Like, there's some okay moments where, like, the feedback kicks in and there's some profound lyrics here and there. But I don't know, man. It just doesn't do it for me. This song was actually more of a mishap than, than anything that Jack actually kept. This was actually a slicing in the tape that had happened prematurely during that little chaotic beat, and Jack actually managed to keep it in and work it in because he really liked how it sounded, and he liked the chaos that it brought to this song. And, Mike, I would argue that you just heard an argument as to why those lyrics are are good, and I don't know how... And you agreed with that, and you dropped the, the rating from a 1 to a 0.5 by agreeing that they are good and and if you like the lyrics or at least think that they have some meaning to it is the technical ability of the music dropping your rating because if so then the white stripes are not your band this is this is quite honestly this is blasphemy this is tragedy this is wholeheartedly disagreeable and mike i i i i contest your 0.5 rating and i say sir you must bring it higher you must make this rating a, a three out of three men <laughs> i think the passion isn't helping all right james make note the more passionate we get the more conversely dispassionate mike gets in 2007 jack white told mojo that this song quote is about somebody i was in love with had been in love with for over a decade but the way you explore all these characters compels you to know yourself better now, Mike, if that quote doesn't change your mind, I don't know what will. I still don't like it. All right, you heard it here first, folks. Mike still doesn't like it. No. All right, give us give us another one. Okay, yes. so this one I think you might have a bit of a fighting chance. I do not like Conquest. Okay. Okay, James, it's all you, buddy. Oh, boy. All right. It, go, it's go the it. reason being is it's just, like, kitschy and hokey, and I understand that there is a place for that in his music. Okay, I'll take the, the head of this one. I would say that Conquest does have a place on the album. The album itself is the start, or at least the continuation, of Jack White's Western country exploration. And this song is a cover of another song, first recorded by Corky Robbins and popularized in the 1950s by Patti Page. So it's not a new song, it's a almost a standard, having been recorded... 50 to 60 years prior and it's playing a little tongue-in-cheek it's jack taking this song and doing what he likes to do which is kind of flipping and reversing the point of view it's taking a a typically a woman's point of view and, and putting a man's point of view on it but he did it with jolene he did it again with uh, new pony and it's this song is the cover that he's trying out a new test to see how they will explore this song. And I think they come up with an interesting version of it. And not only that, they came up with three interesting versions of it. They have Conquest, Conquest with the Acoustic Mariachi Band, and the Conquista single, in which Jack White actually sings in Spanish. You know, I think you're onto something there, because like, I think it was like a Conquista that I liked the least, 
but the idea that it's it's three different songs is is a pretty compelling idea. Yeah, and didn't didn't Beck work on the Conquista he one? He did. Oh, all all see, three of these is... were actually recorded in Beck's living room, and Beck was involved in it. Yeah. So these are the arguments that are convincing me back. So I mean, this one's rising slowly now. And he did have an authentic acoustic mariachi band with him. That's right. Yeah, remember we were trying to find that guy's name? You know, he had an actual mariachi band there whose only deal was to make mariachi music. So he's trying to make it authentic. He's trying to do his best to pay homage to the actual song and to the roots that the song has. So I think I think it's a pretty good song. I think it's an interesting song for Jack to cover because, you know, a lot of his songs are about heartbreak and this is kind of about breaking hearts. So I'd say it's it's interesting a little flip on his usual shtick. All right. Mike? Uh, 1.5 men. Hey! You won! Right. We've increased. You won. Well, it did increase, so that's good. <laughs> Not substantially, but it did. Regulo uh, Aldama wow. was the... <laughs> that's right. Just a regular name. Yep. Just yep. take the win. All right, Mike. <laughs> what other hate you got to spew? Uh, I don't remember why, but I really don't like Forever for Her. Is over for me? Yes. I think it's it's the whole slow, moody thing again that just, it's just not me. Like, someone like Elliot Smith can do it well, but then when he does it, I just, I don't know. It doesn't feel correctly placed. Well, Forever For Her Is Over For Me is an interesting song for me because it's one of a few on Satan, which I think is kind of what you're responding to here. You don't like a lot of that sad tone of that album. Yes. I mean, I my argument really is that sad tone is kind of the point. Yeah. And if it was all... It, but if it was all ultra speed rock i keep coming back to contrast but like to me you need both really like the white stripes are all about that kind of stuff you have jack who's this ball of fury but who has this soft side and you have meg who's this soft-spoken person who erupts on the stage and when given drumsticks actually kind of explodes like this supernova and so forever for her is over for me is a great example that to me just because it's a song that has teeth you know particularly in the lyrics i mean if i knew what to do then i'd do it sounds like an argument you know but the point that i have i'll get to it you know like it's 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 conversational but it's also it's screams of life experience and the break in there where he's talking about everybody's reaction is changing you but their love is only a fraction of what I can give. That goes back to that lover's quarrel thing. That says to me, everyone around you is influencing you to the point where you don't even like me anymore, and he's heartbroken about it. And I don't know how that's supposed to speak to you in any other way but with sadness, but in my opinion, you really do need both in order to appreciate the harder rocking stuff. Maybe that's the difference in how we like his styles. Like, when he's in a groove, I really dig it. I just don't like this groove. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I kind of am in the same vein with Paul that this is taking sadness and it's playing with that sadness lyrically and giving something interesting, making something interesting out of it. The whole album is taking sadness and making something interesting out of it. And I think this is one of the songs that is more of a bridge to more interesting songs. It's a lyrically challenging song. It's almost poetry. This one's more poetry. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It is kind of like Dylan-esque in that point, where it, it's, it looks really good when it's written down, but as, as songs, they're, they're just hard to stomach. And if that's the point, then, you know, that's clearly the point. This is something that I think a lot of people have gone through with 
significant others, it's like doubt. It's yeah. a, it's a form of doubt that happens. Uh, I'll just read this block. So let's do it. Just get on a plane and just do it like the birds and the bees and get to it. Just get out of town and forever be free. Forever. I wonder if we could stay together. It could change if you want for the better. Just turn down my shirt and lay down next to me. So it's like this weird push and pull of it being a physical relationship or not. And is it worth the time to be in this relationship? Or should we just end it right here? Or is this all it is? Or should it be more? And it's this this doubt that he he seems to be going through in his head and i i like that do we know the sales on this album like did it do well it charted at number three on the billboard 200 which seems pretty consistent with his other albums from here on out although that's a little on the high side for him i I would just like to add one last bit of defense for this song I'm going to draw a parallel to this and White Moon, and I think the thing that unlocked enjoying White Moon for me, it could possibly help unlock the enjoyment of this song for you, which was, I don't know, Mike, did you ever see Under Great White Northern Lights? Uh, heard it, haven't seen it. Okay. It, the movie, the documentary movie, for those of you who don't know, it's about the White Stripes' last tour. This was them breaking up, basically. This was right. watching them on their last... This is watching Meg in the throes of her panic attacks. At, cer- at certain points, she's huddled in a window, smoking a cigarette, looking like she's having a nervous breakdown. And the movie ends with Jack on the piano playing White Moon while Meg sits next to him and cries into his shoulder. And that's how the movie ends. And watching that actually made me appreciate White Moon in a whole new way because he's writing these songs not just for the other relationships he went through, but, like, he and Meg were married. Like, that's a big deal. You know, you go through these things with people. To me, this a, a good chunk of this album is exploring that, which I think is profound and interesting. But I can appreciate the fact that you might find it a little too sad. 1.5 men. Woo! Okay. <laughs> We've raised it. Good defense. All right. We got time for one more yeah, quick. We'll do very quick. Explain to me I found the culprit. <laughs> James. James, off the dome, man. All right. Well, off the dome, baby. Dome it. Okay. Let me. Dome rock. <laughs> uh, Pauly Shore, Biodome. Go. <laughs> Come on, man. This is the Pauly Shore of Jack White songs. Uh, hold on. I just want to see where this falls in the track listing. Hold on. All right, Mike. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm not a I'm not a big fan of I think I found the culprit. I do like the song. I don't dislike the song, but it's definitely part of the what I would call the weaker side of of Lazaretto, which is side B. It's in the lump of entitlement. I think I found the culprit and want Nable. I think what it suffers from is is being in the tail end right after Black Bat Licorice, which is such a, a banger of a song. Oh, that's a good uh, one. And it, it really gets the blood pumping. And then he goes right into entitlement, and it's like, I, I, I've gained a... Yeah. Dude, the whole album screeches <laughs> puts, to a halt. It puts hole. on the brakes. Yeah. And does, yeah. I really like entitlement after having learned a little bit about it. But um, I think I found the culprit is... You know, it, it, it took a little while for me to warm up to, and I think what helped me warm up to it was this is the one before Want Nable, and I didn't like Want Nable. <laughs> so, how much of this is do you think is sequencing? Uh, right, because if, I'm looking at the track listing right now. Right, yeah, nothing is really stronger than like three men. Sorry, three women. Lazaretto, Temp Ground. Would you fight for my love? Hug all stepper. Just one drink. Like that's an excellent side A. Right, and then you jump into like. 
the sadder stuff, and and it's clearly got a it's got a place. But how much of this is do you think the album should be received? I I do think it, well, that's a lot. I think I found the culprit, Mike. I think that is. I think you oh, found the you culprit. Did. I do think that this could have been placed a little more carefully even yeah, uh, throughout the the album because there's a lot of high energy stuff in this album and pretty much even the low energy stuff has got these moments of tenderness that I can really grasp onto whereas entitlement I think I found the culprit in Want and Able are stories that he's telling by himself pretty much in Want and Able's case he has himself to duet with Entitlement's case he has no one to duet with he's talking to himself basically and you know I think I found the culprit is the same deal it's a story that he's trying to tell to the sequencing argument really quickly where else would you put I think I found the culprit like where else would that possibly go well okay if you look a b-side well if you look at elephant right that one is like a well-balanced like aggressive and then a little bit more emotional acoustic right like that'll jump from that goes from like black math to like there's no home for you here to i just don't know what to do with myself to in the cold cold night right that's that's some emotional jumping around then it goes from like hardest button button to little acorns and then two songs later is air near my fingers and then you have no faith in medicine and then well it's true that we love one another like that bounces around and i think if he bounced lazaretto and dispersed and shook up those first six and scattered them it might work better because yeah. I feel like I just avoid the second half of Laz now. Yeah, yeah, I don't because it's got Black Bat licorice on it. And I love that song. I yeah. don't. So bold. Yeah. I will say this. Birds of a feather may lay together, but the ugliest one is always under the gun is kind of a nice chant. Sure. All right, Mike, what's the rating? Uh, it stays consistent. One, one out of three, man. Okay. Eight. Sorry, All right. Failed. So the- failed. All right, guys. Well, it's been real, and it will be heavily edited. And um, <laughs> yep. And Mike, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Is there anything you want to plug, Mike, while you're here? Do you want to plug the baby? Do you want to plug? What do you want to plug? I think you anything. Should, I think you should all check out the new Metallica album. It's very good. Oh, okay. Good. Mike, Mike plugging Metallica. Nice. It's very good. I uh, now you talk about I sequencing thought... problems. That album has sequencing problems. All right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you, Mike. And we'll head back to the show now. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. I'm glad we got yes. this love. Uh, you know, you win some, you lose some. I mainly feel like we lost some here. You know what, Paul? Uh, you tried to make it clear in the beginning. We want to make sure that you guys know that there's no negative connotations to these songs for us. We do enjoy all of Jack White's endeavors. And we wanted to make it clear that this episode is about us increasing our love for Jack White and not tearing down. I think it's safe to say we enjoy all of the songs, you know, and just because they're our least favorite doesn't mean that we hate them or something. Yeah. So if, if it seemed a little too negative, let us know. We won't do it again. But we definitely enjoyed it. And in fact, I think we came walking away with better understandings yes. of the songs and better appreciation for these songs. Yeah. And if anyone can do it better, I challenge you to present your argument on our Third Men podcast Facebook page. That would be facebook.com slash third men. And if you can present a better argument, we We'd love to have you on the show and hash it out with you. That's right. 
Why not? You know, and with that, that is going to do us this week. We had a great time. We hope you had a good time too. I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, so we got a couple shout outs here. People who've been following the show on social media. We want to give a shout out to Anna Newman. Thank you, Anna, or Anna, or Anna. I'd like to thank Carol Cr. We have Mio Mai on Twitter. Thank you. Thanks. And also at Ben Jamson on Twitter as well. Yeah. And then uh, somebody who's been following us and giving us a lot of support on Twitter too, Eileen Corsano. Thank you, Eileen. It's very nice of you. We appreciate all the feedback and stuff. And then, of course, we have our regulars, people who have been really supporting the show. Callie Durga. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Jeremy Riles. As always. We have uh, Andre Lyman. Thank you, Andre. You've been a champion. Thank you. And as always, thank you, Adrian King. Uh, it was great seeing the White Stripes hand-stitched items you got for this holiday season. So we'd also like to thank our third man for this week, Mike Jezitis. Thank you, Mike. Mike. We'd like to thank Thanks, Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the uh, uh, recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. You guys did great. Thank you. Like to, oh, yes. Thank you, guys. We'd like to thank Susanna Roundtree, who did the intro and outro to our program. Yes. If you'd like to contact us, feel free to contact us at facebook.com slash thirdmen. We've got some great conversations going on there. You can reach us on Twitter at at thirdmencast. We'll also uh, tumble with you guys on Tumblr if you go to thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can go straight to the source and uh, read where we post all the blogs, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. That's got all the pictures and show notes and links and everything. And so, yeah, check that out. And even more straight to the source is us. If you want to email us, you can go to our gmail at thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com where you can give us corrections for anything that we said that was wrong or perhaps any facts to add to our learning experience indeedy and you can also uh, search third men on youtube james does awesome visualizers of all the episodes those are cool and available there sorry i'm late it occasionally is render time or work time that gets in the way so i'll, I'll get them up as yes. soon as i can um, and then don't forget to rate review and subscribe uh on on itunes that that really helps us get the word out and and as always pass the show along to a friend a jack white friend Word of mouth really helps us here, so that would be uh, greatly appreciated. And James, uh, there's one last thing before we do our final sign-off. Have you picked the topic that you want me to do on an episode of the Third Men podcast? Do you need to think this through? Do we need to keep the audiences in suspense and you pick it uh, next episode, perhaps? Yeah, Um, we'll do all that. And uh, with that, that's going to bring us to a wrap here. And until next Wednesday, James, I'll be looking for a home. Uh, I'll be looking for a home. Night. Gross. (laughs) For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. We don't want to. We don't want to offend our Juggalo listeners. But <laughs> all one of you. <laughs> so, I've thrown away our frozen wedding cake. <gasps> no, I wanted to have that. 
It's a stupid drink. <laughs> okay. It's gone now. I would have at least liked to try it. To it looked kind of moldy. I've done threw away my wedding cake. <laughs> that sounds like a lyric from Switching the Spur. <laughs> it's two years old. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when I picked mine, I was trying to like lob some defendable ones at you. Uh, when you sent me your list, it was just like, here's all the crap. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just going to queue up. As you can see, I've written. Virtually no defense of this song. <laughs> you only you only called it the biggest unhinged pile of crap you've ever heard. <laughs> that was offensive to your ears. <laughs> what? 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 Hey, hey, hey! Yes, we're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. You weren't supposed to look at me. I was just supposed to come in slowly, and it would be real surreal for James. It's already surreal. We're talking about some weird stuff. Good for you. I'll see you in a second. Yeah, we're, sorry. we're just wrapping up. No, that's no, okay. Right. You want to close the door? Yep. Thanks. Uh, it... God, I'm not even the drunk one. Um, <laughs> a little different than last episode. Anyway. Oh, uh, Hold on. Real time update. Debbie Reynolds just died. Carrie Fisher's mom. Oh. What? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, Google that right now. <laughs>